0: So uh, our series in Exodus, as we said, is a survey. So we're going to, we're kind of walking through bigger chunks of the Bible. Today we're roughly going to be in Exodus 13, starting at verse 17 through a little bit of 15. So that is where we're going. And the title today is A Mighty Miraculous Deliverance. A Mighty Miraculous Deliverance. I like to move around and with the stage set and everything, I feel a little, little stuck here. But... A mighty, miraculous deliverance. So have you ever been in an impossible situation? A a situation that you're in it and you think, I am stuck. Unless there's some kind of miraculous intervention, I'm stuck. Everything you see with your eyes, everything you see in your circumstances would say, you're in big trouble and there's no way out. Well, if you live long enough, you will be in one of those situations. It may be financial, it may be relational, it may be due to physical health, it may be all of the above, but at times when we live in a broken world, we're going to be in tight spots, difficult situations, and those situations are really setups to watch the Lord work in a very powerful way, which is what's going to happen in our passage this morning. So let's jump in. First point is God leads his people and keeps his promises. So remember where we were? The ten plagues have happened. The Passover happened. And now God's people are being led out of Egypt. Pharaoh said, go. Starting at verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. Although that was near. In the shorter way. For God said, Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you. And you shall carry my bones with you up from out of here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. So we're, we're kind of in the epic scene of the Old Testament. So you've combined the Passover and the Exodus out of Egypt and going to the Red Sea. That is the historic redemptive event of the Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament, if you read the prophets, if you read the Psalms, you will hear the mention of this passage over and over and over again. And the reason is because this is a picture of salvation, a picture of rescue. So I want us to to think about a few things here. The first is God leads his people strategically out of Egypt. So we just read there were shorter ways to exit and to leave, but God knew people. God made people. So he knows what we're like. He knows our temptations. He knows our fears. He knows our worries. And one of his concerns, if they didn't go towards the Red Sea, they were going to see the greatness of the army and they were going to be afraid. And they were going to think, well, maybe we should go back to Egypt. Maybe slavery really wasn't that bad. I mean, if you think about it, could I be speared by someone or just make bricks? So if you compare the two, it's understandable why you might change your mind. So he is leading them, and he's leading them strategically. We have the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. If you read it in context, God's presence is with them wherever they go. And so that they know which way to go, they are following God through the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Now there's a detail in what we just read that is hugely important and significant but i think if you're reading it in the bible you can just kind of miss it and it's in verse 19. it has to do with the bones of joseph so kind of a a weird thing well in the bones of joseph we are going to see that god kept his promises so if you remember the whole reason that god's people ended up in egypt is because there was a famine in the land some 400 years earlier. And Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, ended up in Egypt, and God preserved his people through Joseph. Well, Joseph knew that God was going to be faithful and one day would deliver them out of Egypt. Look at this in Genesis 50. Verses 24 and 25. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land, the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. Whenever you see that in the Bible, that's God reminding his people that he's going to keep his covenant. He's going to keep his promise that he made to Abraham. He will be faithful no matter what you see with your eyes. You can trust him. Verse 25 Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. And so, might seem strange to us, they're gathering up their bones of Joseph and going to take the bones to the promised land that God actually promised to Abraham in the early chapters of the book of Genesis. The point is, God will always keep his promises. Always. So, the best thing we can do as Christians is to know his promises, to study his promises, to cling to his promises. He will be faithful. I mean, we don't know the details, but the bones were there somewhere, and maybe. Kids are like, oh, that's, what are those bones, mom and dad? What, what are they, grandma and grandpa? Oh, that's the bones of Joseph. We just kind of keep them because one day we're going to leave here and we're supposed to take them with us. So the centuries are clipping by and the day has arrived. And there they go out of Egypt. You can trust the Lord. He will keep his promises. And one of the great grand promises of the Bible that we see here in this passage is that God will always be with his people. God guides his people with his presence. In their context, it was clouds, supernatural cloud in the daytime, pillar of fire in the nighttime. It was symbolic of God's presence, that he was with them. And as Christians, we might want... A cloud outside or a big pillar of fire, especially if you're about to graduate college and you're not sure which job to take and if you looked up and you saw a big cloud or at night a big pillar of fire going towards Maryland, not towards West Virginia, that might help you. But God doesn't guide that way now. He actually guides in a much better way. For a Christian, we have God's Holy Spirit inside of us. We are The temple of god we have god's holy spirit in us and we have his word so the combination of the two is how he guides us and he promises that he will always be with his people he will never leave us or forsake us just like he is leading the israelites out of egypt he will lead you he will guide you he will be with you that is a promise in the bible that you can stake your whole life on. It has nothing to do with how you feel in the moment. It has nothing to do with what your circumstances tell you about God in the moment. It has everything to do with the character of God. If you have trusted in Jesus, God is gonna be with you. He's gonna see you through every twist and turn of life. He's gonna make sure that you enter his presence once for all when you go to be with him. But we're human. And if we're honest, circumstances affect us. They affect us. They have an effect. I mean, I don't know if you saw in the news, uh, just yesterday I saw it, that uh, there's a second wave of COVID happening in India. And that affects people. That affects missionaries that are going back to India. That affects um, you in every way. It affects you in, in several ways. It might affect you in, I don't think it's true. So that affects you. It might, might affect you in fear and worry. Oh no, another wave coming our way. It, it can create a, just a, a sense of uncertainty. That's one one-minute clip of news. One of the great lessons we need to learn as followers of Jesus is to not fear circumstances. To look with eyes of faith to the living God. It is tempting. It is challenging. We're going to see that the Israelites had real circumstances that they could fear. And Moses is going to help them. But the second point of our passage is we need not fear impossible circumstances. We don't have to fear even impossible circumstances stances, if we are followers of Jesus. Made up a new word there. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 15, 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp. I forgot to look up how to pronounce it. That place between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. for Pharaoh will say that the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land and the wilderness, has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will give the glory of Pharaoh and all, and I will get the glory of Pharaoh and all the hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So what's happening here? God's giving a directional change for Moses. He also gives them, if you're an Israelite, very bad news. We know he's hardened Pharaoh's heart before. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again, and I want Pharaoh to think about all the money he has lost by sending hundreds of thousands of free laborers out of his country. I want him to worry about that. I want him to think about that, and I want him to change his mind. And I want him to go back after the Israelites, Why would God do that? Well, the verse tells us why God would do that. So that the Lord will get the glory. See, impossible circumstances do not exist if you're the Lord. They don't exist. There's nothing impossible for the maker of heaven and earth. Nothing. And so, he's setting the stage to display his glory Once again. But we're human. We're not the Lord. And so impossible situations and circumstances look impossible. And when they happen, they tempt us to fear. They tempt us to worry. They tempt us to doubt. They tempt us in all sorts of ways. They tempt us to lose our sight of the Lord. We can't see him anymore they might even tempt us to forget about him and to grumble against him and pharaoh here in verse 5 he's paying attention when the king of egypt was told that the people had fled the mind of pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people meaning i said let them go don't let them go what he's going to say next is go get them go after them what is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And now, from studying this passage, the, the people that he's going to send first are like the special forces of Pharaoh's military. So this is like the Green Berets of Egypt are going to go after the Israelites, who are not trained soldiers, as far as we know. So there, there is a danger happening. So look at verse 6. So he made ready his chariots and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots. That's the special force unit. And all the chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh of Egypt and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army. In other words, unload the arsenals. Let's go get them. Let's go after them with every weapon, every horse, every chariot, every trained and armed man that we have. Let's go after them. Well, that would be scary. I mean, that would that would evoke some fear. Um, and the Egyptians pursued them all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen his army overtook them and encamped them by the sea. And so the picture is you have the Red Sea behind them. They're pinned up against the sea. As they look the other way, all they see is these elite soldiers coming their way. You might even, uh, if we're watching a movie, you'd see like dust, big dust clouds coming. And you can imagine... What people were saying. So you have probably a million plus people of Israelites leaving. So you got a lot of people, a lot of personalities, a lot of attitudes, right? And they might have been saying things like, I knew this was a bad idea. I told you we shouldn't have done this. How hard was it really to make a brick? Why are we doing this now? They might even said, slavery wasn't really that bad. I mean, They gave us food occasionally. We knew what we were going to do every day, so we didn't have to worry about that. So they would have been justifying things and reinterpreting things. I'm sure, and we know this happens later on, they were not praising Moses' name. Some leader he is. Why would he think that he could lead us from this mighty military army, this guy who is delusional Pharaoh, who thinks he's God himself, and why would he lead us right up against a big body of water? That's a dumb idea, Moses. And so you hear all the grumbling and complaining. What they're not doing is remembering the ten miraculous plagues that God just sent to Pharaoh, They're not thinking about this pillar of fire and cloud that leads them with God's presence every time. They're not remembering the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What are they doing? They're fixated on their circumstances. They're talking about how fast the chariots are going, how big the horses are, how long the spears are, and how deep the water behind them is we often can do the same things we need to look at the lord and his word and keep our eyes fixed on him point number three our unbelief blinds us to the work of god this is true even for christians when fear and anxiety and worry of our circumstances grows and mounts Builds. At the same time, in the opposite direction, our confidence in the Lord wanes, dissipates, and shrinks. So our unbelief blinds us to the work of God. Look at verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. It's an understandable fear. We would fear greatly. I would fear greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. So initially they did the first thing. The right thing. They saw what they saw with their eyes and they cried out to the Lord. The same Lord that the Israelites had been crying out to for over 400 years to be set free from slavery. But fear is a powerful, powerful thing. Powerful. Fear will tempt us to do weird things, unexpected things, dangerous things, things that cause harm to others. In this room, there's, there's a number of you that are lifeguards. And I know one of the things of lifeguard training, the, I think the threat of a lifeguard is a drowning victim. The very one that they are trained to save is the most dangerous thing about being a lifeguard. Why is that? Because you have a man or a woman in a body of water that they can't touch, and they think they're going to die. And so they're going to grasp and grab and do anything they can to survive, even harm potentially the very one that is sent to rescue them. Fear is powerful. It is It is a powerful, powerful thing. A year or two ago, Dave Marshall preached a sermon and the big idea from the sermon was what we focus on, we tend to magnify. What we focus on, we tend to magnify. Simple idea, but profound if you apply it. Think about that. What you focus on, you magnify. Let's go through your last week last month, last year? What have you been fixating and focusing the best of your attention on, the best of your affections on? Has it been the Lord and his greatness? Or has been it the chaos of our world? Or the chaos of your own personal life? See, unbelief can blind us to the work of God. This story, this account... And what we've learned about over the last few weeks are filled with miraculous events. There are numerous, countless, you can probably count them, but it's a big number, events in the Bible that are miraculous. That human reasoning cannot explain them. This is one of them. There are many, 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 many others. The Bible begins with mystery Of the miraculous. In the beginning there was God. He always existed. And he speaks. And creates things out of nothing. That is miraculous. God has not changed. He is still miraculous. He is still powerful. We still serve an amazing miraculous God. And The more we focus on that. The more our faith will grow. The more our confidence in him will grow. Could have kept that going. That. Kind of fit the moment. Um, see, God is amazingly powerful. See, we're so, you know, in our 2021 time period, we just reason everything. But there are many unexplainable, miraculous things that the Lord continues to do to this very day. So we, we can trust him for those things. See, one of the things unbelief does is it reinterprets the past and it clouds our view of the present. So, when we are not looking through the lens of God's will and God's sovereignty and God's amazing workings through difficult circumstances, which, if that's something you're trying to work through, go to the musical today because it, it captures this idea in a very powerful way. But unbelief reinterprets the past and it clouds our view of the present. Look at verse 11. They said to Moses, the Israelites, the people of God, to their leader that God has chosen, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wasn't there enough sand in Egypt to just dig big holes and bury us? Is that why we're out here, Moses? For some mass graveyard? Thanks, Moses. What have you done Bring us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. I wish we had Moses' commentary because Moses is thinking, you never said that. Never heard one of you say that for sure. I've heard you curse Pharaoh's name. I've heard you complain, grumbled, begged to get out of this circumstance One thing you never said was, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians with a big smile on our face. You didn't say that. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They're reinterpreting the past because of the fear that they're experiencing. They're they're looking back, and everything's all distorted. They're forgetting all their cries and pleas to the Lord for deliverance and rescue. They're forgetting the fact that God somehow is sovereignly in control of all things and orchestrates things in such a way to bring glory to himself and to show his love to his people. So they're sinking. We must guard against sinking fear and sinful grumbling. And the antidote for that is faith. A robust, confident faith in the living God. This is so different than taking a little paper test and saying, do you think God is powerful? Yes. Do you think God is real? Yes. Do you think God hears your prayers? Yes. No. this is in the moment. Is God really powerful? Is he really going to show himself true in this moment? very difficult and impossible situation. See, if we rise up in our faith, then circumstances can't choke out the Word of God. They can't blind us to the Word of God. This is why church history is so helpful too. You have men and women for centuries in very difficult parts of the world who have sought the Lord and watched the Lord be faithful. And Preserve a people for himself, century after century after century. Look at verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, fear not. Those two words are all over the Bible. Fear not, stand firm. Fear not, stand firm. If you're fearful right now, if you're anxious, if you're worried, if you're overwhelmed, these would be really four great words to memorize. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. There is so much truth in these two verses that will help us in our day and age. If you know the living God, if you have turned from your sins and trusted in Jesus, this is true for you. Fear not, stand firm. Watch the Lord work. Rest, wait. He is powerful. The Lord fights for us. The Lord, think about that. If we're playing a video game, and the options are the Pharaoh and his soldiers, or the uncreated living God who is over all things. Who are you going to pick? Well, you're going to pick the Lord because his arsenal is unlimited. And though this looks powerful, From one vantage point, compared to the Lord, it's not at all. The Lord's power swallows up any human power. It's amazing. The Lord will fight for you. Waiting is a really important discipline for Christians. I think it's really, really important for Americans. I think it's really, really important for Americans that are wired like I am. Who like to do things, who like to make plans, who like to get things done. Like even tomorrow is my day off. I'll have a checklist of what I'm going to do from when I get up till when everybody gets home. Um, that's, that's fun for me. I like that. I like checking things off. What I don't like doing is waiting and waiting and watching and waiting. But there are many times in our lives where that is the best thing we can do before the Lord First Peter says this. I don't think we have this verse, but this is 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The one who fights for you is the one who cares for you. He is powerful. Look at verse 15 of chapter 14. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel, I like that, it's like a parent. Why are you crying to me? Uh, tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. So if we're watching this in a movie, this is, the music is building, the epic music is going, and now the culminating event is about to happen. See, God tells Moses to do something very unexpected. You're going to go right up to the edge of the sea and you're going to hold up your staff and you're going to watch what I'm about to do as I part it in two. Verse 17, I will harden the heart of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts and his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know, this is the point, that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh and his Chariots. So here they are. Are we going to believe what God said? Moses himself. Am I going to believe what God said to do? We got two options. They had two options. When it comes to trusting in the promises of God. Option one. Unbelieving passivity. I'm going to worry. I'm going to fret. I'm going to lose a lot of sleep. I'm going to be sick to my stomach. And I'm just going to worry and I'm going to sink and sink and sink. Option two I'm going to be filled with worship and confidence and trust. And when the Lord calls me to take steps of obedience, I'm going to step out and I'm going to take those. Verse 19 The angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. And coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel, there was the cloud of darkness. And it lit up the night without no, anyone coming near the other all night. So it kept the two parties separate. And the stage is set for an incredible miracle to happen, which is the next point. God's miraculous power is magnified the greater the obstacle or opponent. God's miraculous power is magnified. The greater the obstacle, the greater the the opponent, um, Conor McGregor, is a famous UFC fighter. If he fought me, it wouldn't it wouldn't speak much of his greatness. However fast he can punch me in the head, I would drop to the ground. I'm sure. If he fought a world class fighter and he conquers the world class fighter, it shows his greatness. It shows his skill. Shows his power. Shows his quickness. Shows all those things. The greater the opponent. The greater the obstacle, the greater the stage is set for God to display His power. So humanly speaking, this is a scene. This is a setup. We have a huge trained military, Pharaoh and his army. We have the Israelites pinned against the Red Sea. And here's what happened. Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, as as the Lord told him to. The Lord drove the sea Backed by a strong east wind all night. Hear the wind going. And made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided. Split in two. And the people of Israel went into the middle of the sea. On dry ground. So not only did the water split in two. But the ground was miraculously dry. The waters being a wall to them. On the right hand and on left the left. So you got a wall. Disney tried to capture this. You got a wall of water on one side, a wall on the other, and the Israelites are going right through the middle. Now if they didn't have an army behind them, they might have been more inquisitive, but they were probably moving pretty fast as they were trying to figure out what was happening. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of the fire and the cloud looked down on the Egyptians Forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic. So the Lord creates chaos among the soldiers, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the, for the Lord, Yahweh, fights for them against the Egyptians. See, scholars have tried to explain this away, humanly speaking. And no matter how you do it, if you grapple with the passage, a miracle occurred. This couldn't be explained in any, with any human explanation. It was a true miracle. God is displaying his power and his love for the Israelites, and he's displaying his own glory for all to see. Look at verse 26. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians upon the chariots, upon their horsemen. So the enemy is pursuing Israel. Israel safely through. The water then closes back up and swallows Pharaoh and his army. Remember, they believed Pharaoh was a god. And it's significant that the sun is rising. They worship the sun god. The sun god and Pharaoh himself were no match to the one and true living God. Look at verse 28. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. all Of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them in the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to the left and to the right. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. God did exactly what he said he was going to do. Israel saw the great power of the Lord against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. This culminating event is actually a shadow of a much greater impossible salvation event, which is when Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect sinless life, mounted a wooden cross, took the wrath of God upon himself, and offered salvation to all who would trust in him. After he died absorbing the wrath of God, he rose from the grave supernaturally, miraculously, conquering sin and death. And all, every single human being who will look to him, he will save, he will rescue. Far greater event than what they experienced at the Red Sea. Far more miraculous. And so many in this room or many watching have called out and experienced that incredible salvation. And if you have, that is far greater than whatever obstacle is causing you to fear right now. Tempting you to fear. Making you worry. Remember the great rescue that you have experienced. And if you haven't called out to Jesus yet, call out to him today. Then the final thing Moses instructs his people to do is what we're going to do at this moment, which is respond in singing. So if the band could come up. The last, we're just going to read two verses in in chapter 15. We must praise God for a miraculous deliverance. The passage says, verse 1, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and His rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise Him. My Father's God, I will exalt Him. Let's stand. We're going to pray, and then we'll sing. Father, thank You, that we have been on the receiving end of the miracle of miracles when You opened our blind eyes and our deaf ears to trust in You and see You and hear You. You called us to follow You and You wrote Your law in our hearts and You gave us power to obey that we did not have prior to You working in our lives. Lord, may You fill us with joy an expectation as we sing to you